0: How are you, Manny? Are you okay?
1: Yeah, fine, fine. Just a busy, busy day of interviews. So, this is uh, yeah.
0: Who've you been? Who've you been interviewing? Oh, or have people been interviewing you? Scoop.
1: Well, um, I just did Malcolm McDowell from. Oh yeah. What's he
0: doing at the moment?
1: Uh, He's uh, promoting the re-release of Clockwork Orange. (laughs) Ah, okay, Okay. (laughs) great. (laughs) Great. Great. (laughs) 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 <laughs> um, and then I did a radio fourteen for about Kanye West, so it's been a bit.
0: Oh, Adam's ears have perked right up. Well, yes, I know that you've, uh, you've written a book on on Kanye, and um,
1: yeah.
0: What's your take on what's what's going on with Kanye at the moment?
1: Um, what's my take on it? I mean, I'm just kind of watching from a distance at the moment. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah it's safer. a tricky
0: thing to sort of wade in on. I imagine.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's very much, um, it's a tricky one. Um, I mean, I haven't. Literally, I haven't had the week that is necessary free to listen to the new album. Um I've been right. Yeah, I mean, it's a long to, album, right? So. Um So I can't really sort of comment too much about about that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to be on the, on a stage with Marilyn Manson, I mean, at least wait mm. until the court case is done.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah at the very least. <laughs> I think probably the the, um, the best. Guy, the most. Um, the most. Uh, yeah, what a
0: one uh, interesting guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh Anyway, if you're just joining us, hello and welcome to What is Music, a music podcast about music. We're a podcast that focuses on discographies in their entirety, doing deep dives on one artist at a time. We're currently in season two, which is called Are You Amused? a critical analysis of the history, cultural impact and music of Muse. We're going through their entire career, album by album, track by track, asking questions like, does context matter when you're listening to music? Does knowing the history of an artist affect your appreciation of their output? And this season we're of course asking are you amused? And to be clear, we're asking if you're amused by the band Muse, not whether or not you're amused by us, the host of this season, are you amused? To which you are now listening. I'm Adam Scott Glasspool. I'm joined as always by Steve Murphy. Hello. And Lucas Way. Right. And there was a a strange voice uh in the intro, a mysterious voice. Uh because this week we're joined uh by author of Out of This World, the Muse Biography, basically, Mark Beaumont.
1: Hiya. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yep, doing okay. Good summer, so uh, yeah, it, I mean,
0: you know, the reopening of all of the music stuff means that, uh, I suppose, as as a music journalist, your life has kicked up a gear this year.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, it's bizarre to have done... The festival season's basically been packed into about two or three weeks. So uh, Right, yeah. <laughs> non-stop festivals, trying to get a whole year's worth done. I mean, there are worse jobs, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I kind of... When you've spent a, a year and a half having all the festivals beamed onto your laptop, Mm. Uh, in the mm. comfort of your bath or whatever. Yeah, it's uh, it's suddenly you've got to trudge left, like across the Reading Festival site a hundred times, and suddenly, it, it, I mean, it broke me. It broke me. Really. <laughs> how
0: how was it? How how did it feel? What was the atmosphere like?
1: Um, I mean, it was you know it was pretty exciting. Lots of uh, people running around, uh, loving it. Um, but they did have the two um, stages at either end of the of the site, which I I thought was you know that's new. Weird. They didn't used to yeah, do that
3: back in the day. They
1: did it all outside because they haven't they they, they, they previously had two main stages on the same day, obviously, but um, yeah. uh, because of COVID, they they decided to make more of it outside, but then they put them at either end of the site rather than next to each other so that people were sort of running from one to the other. And, you know, it was nice <laughs> to they thought about COVID spreadability, <laughs> You know, make it accessible for COVID as well to get about, which is a bit weird. So, is there yeah, few, was
3: there fewer tent stages then? Like the normally the big yeah, sort. There, of...
1: was a, um, there was a where the where they they had usually where they would have the uh, the lockup stage. There was a Pepsi Max mm. Tower. Year, <laughs> um, oh wow! Which might tell you all you need to know about already. the punk
2: <laughs> Pepsi Max Tower. <laughs> yeah, so, right. Uh,
1: yeah. They 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 kind of split the the lockup tent into the pit and the festival public stage. As oh, okay. So it was, there were one, I think there was at least one fewer tent, um, maybe two and yeah, but you know, it was back at festivals and I was at end of the road last weekend and I was a bit more friendly and, and uh, family. Hmm. Um, yeah.
0: I, I've heard, uh, I've heard good things about uh, end of the road festival.
1: Um, yeah, that down there.
0: Mark, I have a very important question just to sort of uh, kick things off. Um, yeah. Uh, as, as succinctly as possible i suppose what is music
1: <laughs> what is music <laughs> music is uh vibrations in the air in a, which hit your ear in a in a rhythmic way and and, uh, and lucas
0: is going to love band, that
1: answer so. in, your, in your head which which are then translated into sound and, uh, and, uh, and some of them are good and some of are not so good I've got, so much <laughs> I time. I've got
0: so much time for that answer <laughs> that's such a such a technical answer uh, <laughs> that's what I, I quite like about it um, look obviously you know you know this you you know you are a music journalist um you have written numerous books on music, one of which is the biography of Muse, depending on where you go you you also write books on theology um and yep. uh the relationship between Christians and Muslims. Yeah. Oh
2: right. According to some, according
0: to some websites, that's what you write about.
1: <laughs>
0: I think I think they what might have, have, have right the wrong Mark, Mark
1: Beaumont. The, the cyclist, Mark Beaumont, <laughs> the one who cycled around the world.
0: I was going to say, yeah, you also cycled around the world, didn't you?
1: <laughs> I think I've got. A, I think half of my Twitter followers are Mark Beaumont, the cyclist followers. <laughs> I've tried to arrange a little sort of spot with him because he kind of gets. We go on Twitter sometimes, and last time he was, he was very. He, he tweeted me saying, "Yeah, everyone's really annoyed that I haven't got anything to say about the new U2 album. And, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, it, it was a bit weird when I was, I think um, when, he first, when, he, when he first did his um, adventuring, um, the, I think s- someone did a lecture tour, uh, someone, someone made ma- major from the TV. Um, did, I, I, well, I was just basically, I was at some gig and I saw my, my Twitter following was just suddenly shooting through the roof. And it was because, like, Davine and McCall had tweeted about how brilliant uh, Mark <laughs> baymonis cyclist talking tour was and put my Twitter by mistake. And said, so, <laughs> I literally had
2: all these, all these um, cycling followers. Oh, it's That's like true. that poor poor guy, John Lewis, in America, just a bloke yeah. called John Lewis, and he's at John Lewis, and every Christmas they, everyone tweets him about it. And he's now become a bit of a figure because he keeps tweeting them back and going, oh, I think you've probably got the wrong person, but uh, I don't have much to say about foxes and... Talking badges or whatever they're doing this year, but yeah.
1: Mark on the cyclists is obviously brilliant and a fantastic adventure in cycles around the world. But you know, I do the books. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna book one.
0: Well, yes. You, you, are, you are you uh, are a a pretty prolific uh, music writer, um, as well as a novelist. But but in in order to get to the point where where you are regularly writing about music, that must have started from like quite a young age. What what were you what were you into? Take us on that. Musical journey, do you have any sort of like formative musical memories?
1: Um, well, the big one really, I mean, I kind of uh, you know, I was just kind of a, a teenage Beatles fan and um, classic, you know, yeah, you know, listening to a lot of the stuff that my, my parents liked, which was you know, fairly sort of 70s prog and soft rock sort of things, so which I was brought up mm-hmm. on. Yes, um, I have a similar experience then, to that, yeah, yeah. I mean, the kind of the most formative one really, I don't, you, this is a showing my age and a very long time ago, but there used to be a A show on Saturday mornings on ITV uh, called the Chart Show, and they Mm. would have um, weekly. They would would rotate these weekly charts. So one week there'd be a metal chart, one there'd be a dance chart, and then one week there'd be an indie chart. And I was watching it one day, and and, uh, like the indie chart was on, and the number one song was um, "Monkey Gone to Heaven" by the Pixies, and I blew my mind. I mean, I literally I've never seen anything so evil on TV, especially like about half past eleven on a Saturday morning. Um, and just you know, I felt like I was kind of drawn in. I, I felt like I, I've been brainwashed into a cult. Um, <laughs> so I went down and, and bought Do on cassette. And that's how long ago it was. And um, and yeah, I was a bit terrified of it for quite a, quite a while. <laughs> um, but I never yeah never looked back. I mean, I, you know, indeed, till I die. Um, so that was kind of formative. And then I um, uh, went to university and started uh, sort of picking up the enemy and realizing that these people were. Um, not only getting to write... I mean, I'd, I'd been a writer, I'd been writing sort of fiction stuff uh, for quite a while, and I knew I was interested in journalism. Um, but then I picked up The Enemy and realised that he's, he was a writers, and they were writing sometimes in sort of fairly fictional, fictionalistic, literary kind of ways, and mm. uh, and they were getting to go to LA and hang around swimming pools with rock stars, so I thought yeah. oh, that. Um, <laughs> I mean, That is an attractive,
0: attractive job <laughs> description,
1: isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah so i did uh, basically start sending emails into well I didn't have emails god no didn't have emails then um uh, <laughs> I started writing into um, enemy and Murder maker every couple of months really sending in sample reviews um I went to uh did a, did a i actually did a postgraduate journalism course i'm believe it or not, believe it or not i'm actually a trained journalist i sure well wow. which which my list my readers may well uh, be very surprised at but, um <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, yeah, and eventually got taken on and the rest is f- fairly abusive history. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now let's, now let's completely skip forward and get to the meat of our podcast, which is, of course, about muse. Um Your book covers from, like, the formation of the band up until, the updated version covers up until The Resistance, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that was the last so- one.
0: Let's put that aside for a second. How, how do you feel about Muse now, in 2021? Let's start at the end and, and work
1: backwards. Um, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a major fan. Um, always, always, loved, always loved what they've done. Um, well, I, I think now they're, they're realising what they intended to do from the very start. I mean, the, the, uh, the, the appeal of them and, the, and what was very obvious about them from sometimes the first time you saw them, and I saw them the first time back in about 1998 and 99. Um, was that they were clearly a stadium band. You're just waiting for people to realise that they should be allowed to get let loose in stadiums. So the fact that now they're, they're just pushing the edges of what, what you can do in a stadium. I mean, you've, you've, I've been to a million stadium shows, but that um, simulation theory tour was still, I mean, I mean just blew, it was mind-blowing, really. Um, people sort of abseiling ab- 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 down screens and <laughs> it's just... You just don't can't, can't believe what you're seeing half the time. I think what I, mean, I think what they're doing is they're uh, they're doing the job of a, a cutting edge stadium band. There are so many stadium bands just sort of sit on their laurels and might redesign something quite big every three or four years. I think Muses are actually pushing what what you can do with the stadium show and and uh, and what how big a spectacle something can be. Mm. Yeah. No. I think. Yeah. That is fair. How how big a
0: spectacle do you think it can be? Like, how, how much further can Muse go?
1: Well, <laughs> you've got the limitations of a stadium or an arena, haven't you? I mean, the, the thing is that they do yeah. room tours and stadium tours, and so their shows kind of have to be scalable. Um, they can put on sort of stadium shows, but it also has to work a little bit scaled down for maybe territories that they want to do in arenas, or when it gets to winter, they don't want to be out in stadiums, stuff like that. Mm. So, um, I mean, how much bigger can it get? I mean... You know, I'm sure there's a a cost-effective ratio. You know, if they wanted to like, put a dome over the pyramids or something, it might it might cost more. <laughs> than, you know, it is. There it is. You
2: heard that. Well, that's that's why
3: that's why it's costing me ninety quid a ticket now every time I see Muse because they have to you know pay for They're the filling ridiculous- up for the dome, oh, yeah, pay yeah, for the ridiculous the stage.
1: Yeah, I I know Matt has ideas that on uh, that over over time has been have been cost ineffective, and he's, he was saying, oh, we should put this there and have, let's have a big old. Uh, things stretching up there, and that will go over this way. And people have said to him, "That just that one bit will cost you a million quid." Oh, right, okay, well, <laughs> okay, that, that will make the whole lose <laughs> money. Um, but over, as time goes on and, and technology develops, um, then the, these things become possible. I mean, the drones tour—the drone where they were sort of flying drones around. Yeah. Um, Matt was telling me he had that idea, like on the first shows of um, when they first played the Astoria. He, he was sort of since in the side of the wings. Uh, looking at the stage set, which at that time was just some sort of geometric cones at the back of the stage. And I think, you know what? I think we should fly drones around here. (laughs) And, you know, it took however many years, almost 20 years to do it. But, you know, the technology caught up. And then he wrote an album about them. I think we actually talked about that, didn't we? On the
3: drones film episode, we talked about the fact that originally the, the cones was the, I mean, originally it was here come the cones. Right. Okay. Not yeah. I, I mean.
0: It was very it good. Was, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. That's the level that we're operating on today. <laughs> is it great? <laughs> um, for, for me personally, like, uh, that the, you, you hit on something really interesting there, which is like they were always a stadium band, and and are only sort of in recent years having that ambition fulfilled. But for me, there was a lot of um, sort of. Uh, sort of tension in, in that, in, in that, you know, they were the underdog and you kind of, they were bringing these mad ideas to a very sort of small place. Um, a, a, lot of, a lot of people accuse their music now of, of being safe. And I think that, that some of that tension has, has dissipated. What, what's your take on that? Do you think their music is safe or do you think they're still exploring?
1: Um, well, I think it's, they're still changing as they go. Um, they, I think they kind of hit a, a peak a peak queen um, around about 2012 2013, and it, you know I really like the fact that they sort of went uh, far more sort of 80s electro pop on the last one. Now it's obviously 80s were kind of um, a little bit done to death over the last decade or whatever, but I think you know once Muse get their their claws into it, it becomes that much more enormous. That it's uh, it's something a bit different. Um, so I don't think they're particularly you know settling back and and uh, and, and doing nothing. It would be interesting or doing nothing. New and original hmm. It'd be interesting to see if they ever do an acoustic album Yeah that would It's be something
0: nice. they've threatened a couple
3: well, of Well they, they talked right? about it with Simulation Theory And then they decided to instead turn on all the beeps and boops a lot more But that yeah. was like the original threat with Simulation Theory wasn't it And then <laughs>
1: You kind of find that if they mention it Then it's you've usually got sort of four or five years before it appears I remember I remember Matt talking about doing <laughs> his um, sort of orchestral odyssey uh, Like several years before he actually did it in them. Was on the Resistance, where he did sort of the three-part
0: sort of uh, the, the symphony. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: so, yeah. so
3: the tenth, so LP ten, then will be a will be mm. an acoustic album, basically. Yeah, but you heard it here first, and it
1: might not be true.
0: <laughs> great, that's a great scoop. I love that. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll lead with that in our tweets yeah. for sure. Um, they they they're certainly they've certainly like always been an, an ambitious band, and I think that um, like with music in general, like one of my my personal sort of favorite sort of aspects of talking about music is always like the creation myth of a band um Muses is, is like pretty tame it's it's just kind of they met at school and they started like making music right? and then got signed and then did some gigs and then more people <laughs> yeah, yeah, heard, and then yeah. more people heard them and then they did an album <laughs> exactly, mm. but in your book, you write about those early dates with like so much sort of passion and i have another question about whether or not you are responsible for what muse are like now but we'll we'll save that for a second okay what was so sort of uh compelling about those those early days of muse
1: um well i think there was a lot of dedication to it they were all part of a um and and when you say uh you know fairly fairly normal i think that they they really had a a a punk uh attitude to a lot of it because when they were um rocket baby dolls yeah. Um, like the first time the three of them played together, I think was in Rocket Baby Dolls because in their school and in their sort of um, their area, they had um, a few sort of doom metal and and uh, weird sort of rock bands. So it was you know they were, they were trying their they were trying their arm at all sorts of weird stuff, but Rocket Baby Dolls came on stage the only time, maybe possibly the only time they ever played. Um, for a battle of the bands, and I think they just trashed the place. I mean, <laughs> yes, it, yeah. <laughs> there was like a riot, and they that sort of hide in the van afterwards, as, as I remember. Um, so, you know, it was, it was, yes, they met at school and they kind of grew up, and there's some of uh, those amazing pictures. I just did the um, work with them closely on the um, uh, Origin Amuse box set and did, mm. the, uh, did the sleeve notes for that, and that was a great opportunity to really dig into the archive and, and they really enjoyed doing that sort of picking out all of these, um, amazing pictures of when they were like together at 14, 15. Um, you, you know, I think they, they were kind of tear away and a little bit punk and, uh, um, you know, it wasn't sort of, and they really sort of threw themselves into it, you know, they had to travel around, um, you know, when, when the rest of the, their um, general, uh, clique of musicians just decided oh no we're not we're not bothering with that you know they really stuck with it and uh, uh, and saw a future in it and and did a lot of, you know traveling around and playing to as many people as possible hmm. um so yeah it was yes it's a yeah they met at school there's no sort of uh, <laughs> know, I think the best story of the, of the meeting was something to do with someone liking someone else's shoes or something or, or, <laughs> or, or <going laughs> a wreck to say oh you've got nice hair I can't remember what, exactly what it was but <laughs> Um, but you know, I think they've, they've got quite an exciting backstory there, and it's always when you've got a bit of action and a bit of uh, a bit of when you've got a riot going on, then it's well worth writing about. Yeah.
0: Well, this is the thing: is 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 that uh, you know, a couple of years later into their story, when you're when you're looking at sort of like the showbiz tour and and the origin of symmetry tour, you know, there are all sorts of great anecdotes about sort of like the debauchery and you know magic mushrooms and orgies and all, all of this stuff that would go on on tour. Um, how, how, how much of that do you think is because at one of their first ever interviews, you told them they were boring?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I, I, I don't know, but I think it it was, yeah, it was their first like print interview. I think someone had interviewed them for, a um, for a biography piece before, which went out with the album. Um, and i don't you know they i don't think they read they're very in very inexperienced about sort of talking about themselves they kind of got they're just quite polite polite but also you <laughs> kind of, they they'd hint that they had sort of terror away pasts and mm. you know they were a little bit uh, um you know you, you you get the the sense that they'd been stealing cars or something but they wouldn't tell you about it it was just like right you know they, you kind of <laughs> thought there's something behind this band and there's there's some sort of history there, but they won't tell you it um so, I think they were quite guarded, really, um, and, and did end up sort of coming out with quite a lot of your standard rock band cliches. So, I think I did sort of turn off the, the dictaphone and say, well, you know, that was the most boring thing I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> and I came back. And then, you know, a <laughs> couple of years later, Mushrooms, yeah, um, orgies, and then or- Origin and Symmetry albums. I mean,
3: so, Mark can be directly sort of held responsible for Origin and Symmetry, which is, you know, yes. their best album, so good job.
1: <laughs> I love that. But just, I think there's more that maybe they'd kind of had come away from that thinking, you know what, we've got some interesting things to say. And yeah. it completely turned around in terms of, you know, Matt suddenly became the most interesting person you could possibly...
0: Well, that's the thing. And I, I, I suppose, like, uh, in a roundabout way, what I'm asking is, do, do you think any of that was or is kind of an act?
1: Oh, no, 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 no. no.
0: You, what Matt is actually like that.
1: <laughs> oh, I mean, I if you've only seen Muse on stage, <clears throat> you, you you kind of have no idea what Matt's like. I mean, Matt is a absolutely fascinating, very well read, <clears throat> very thoughtful, um, kind of motor mouth. You know, I mean, you start chatting to him and it, it, you'll you'll delve, delve down rabbit holes and you'll be there for hours. You know, just sort of talking around all the sort of possibilities of things that are going on in the world and the universe. I mean, absolutely fascinating guy. Um, so, yeah I mean he really is I mean he really does at that time when he was going on about um various uh, the, the origins of symmetry and all of the geometric basis of the universe and and having these uh, sort of hallucinations and stuff, stuff like that i mean that was all absolutely him i 've I've never seen any sense of of him putting anything on at all uh, mm. i I, 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 I wonder if I if
0: it is if it is that sort of um if if that's part of of why this is successful is 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 that people can tell that, that 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 stuff is very um sort of genuine and comes from from a genuine place. I mean, you know, we, we've we like to cover a lot of the um a lot of the context that's outside of the music on the podcast, and you know, it was it was twenty years ago now, so of course there's some you know, you can you can cut out quotes and whatever, but you know, there were some comments like about about women and and sex and stuff that I th- I think I've personally found quite off-putting. But I think there's something... There's, there's, I think Bellamy just, for some reason, just gets away with stuff like that. And I'm not really sure why. And I think it's because people can tell it's coming from a good place. Mm. But but if, if they were a young band now and were sort of uh, regaling us with tales of orgies and, you know, Matt filming Dom having sex without... People's consent, and you know, saying things like "you're not a real man unless you want to sleep with uh, loads of women at once." Do, do you think they'd be nearly as successful in like today's sort of climate?
1: um Well, I, a lot of things have happened in the history of rock, which uh, yeah you know, wouldn't look very good to that. That's very um, true. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you look at you can
3: you go you can go to some of the most regaled musicians of all time and go, mm.
0: yes, there's a very questionable. Things.
1: There's some questionable <laughs> stories there. <laughs> It's a, it's a difficult thing to to consider, really, isn't it? I mean, if, if people would, if there were a young band come along saying that now, because within the realm of rock music, you know, opinions and, and uh, attitudes have changed an awful lot. But then I was at a Reading Festival um, last weekend and you know, there were various rap acts coming on and basically sort of saying, right, I'm going to come out and have a sex rampage through this audience. You're, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you, you know, picking girls out from the front of from the... From the, from the the thing saying, Dude, how you you The are?
0: phrase sex rampage a lot anymore, you? <laughs> <laughs>
1: no. you know. It's, it, in, in some quarters, it's seemed it's deemed perfectly acceptable in some genres, so maybe there's well, hip hop is the out new out. rock and roll,
0: right? In, in, in a way,
1: well, or, or maybe hip hop is the old rock and roll, you know,
0: yeah, um, that's
1: right, in, yeah, in terms of attitudes. Um, but so yeah, it's an ob- it's an odd one, and I'm, I'm not sure a lot of times. Um, that that sort of thing damages a lot of people's careers necessarily, it might make them unpopular on Twitter but I'm not, yes. I'm not sure that something that um, if people were to come out and, and be all sort of macho and uh, you know, old school rock and roll I'm not, I'm not sure that it's, it would necessarily dent their popularity
0: Well that's, yeah, I mean you know, it, it'd be interesting to see if they would actually survive Twitter if, if they were a young band saying the same things, but then if they were if they were a young band they maybe wouldn't be saying same things yeah, these I mean, days. I
1: mean, they're, you know, they're coming out of uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of their... Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of weird, I suppose, because a lot of their formative acts were kind of hardcore acts, which were yeah. quite, quite on. Um, but then they're coming out of, uh, of the 90s, which was a, a fairly laddish and yeah. bullish sort of time. That's so true.
0: They're sort of coming it's, out it's, of the death of Britpop, aren't they?
1: Yeah. So it's a, I think it's a confusing time if you're, if you're a young band from a bit of a backwater and not really um, knowing what's you know back then what's acceptable and what isn't and mm, that's then, true acceptable and
0: yeah so the, re- the reason I sort of asked especially about whether or not it's an act is that our last season was on um, was on Manic Street Preachers you know a a, a band who um, deliberately sort of courted controversial statements you know things like I hope Michael Stipe dies of AIDS. You yeah,
3: know, and showing up and showing up to Glastonbury like
0: and saying let's turn this fucking place into a car park
3: or something stupid like yeah. that.
1: Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think they were making things up to uh, to court controversy or, or, or be shocking. I think they were just being fairly honest about about what they were, what they were going on, what was going on.
0: Yeah, I think that's also sort of. Um, I do find their early music to be very, yeah, like you said, like like honest. It just sounds really honest in in a way that um mm. raw yeah in, in 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 a way that some of their contemporaries aren't and i think it's it's interesting that they are lumped in often with travis and coldplay who, really who by quite a lot of people i think <laughs> yeah. the
1: coldplay lump
0: in is definitely
3: there i mean, it? It, I mean they, they start around the same time they've had the similar sort of trajectory in terms of you know, becoming a stadium band around the same time. I don't think that one's...
1: I mean, so, I mean, if you're talking about sort of career tra- trajectories, I mean, maybe they're kind of peers in that way. I mean, in, in very early reviews, I would mention Coldplay. Um, in, well, actually, more Radiohead, really, was the sort of radio, Radiohead rock things, so not Coldplay. Well, um, yeah, I
0: mean, I have a... Uh, not to embarrass you, I have a quote uh, from you.
1: Okay. Uh, it says, <laughs>
0: oh, if there was a National Sounding Like Radiohead Championship, they'd be on the expert judging panel alongside Radiohead and another band who sound exactly like Radiohead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: like, well, they, 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 which is a great quote. Yeah. <laughs> Early on, they certainly had some elements of Radiohead about them. And oh, I, yeah. I, I've, I've gone in heavy on that.
3: <laughs> that um, it, it, that
1: that never went away either.
3: It, yeah, it that really frustrates me. Still to, thrown at them. It's mental. Yeah. They sound nothing like them at this point, but it's always been, oh, but Radiohead. And at this point, you could... There's so many bands you could probably more accurately compare them to, but everyone's will always hold on to the Radiohead comparison.
1: I mean, I think they, they outgrew that very, very quickly. I mean, certainly by album two, you couldn't really yeah. anything like that whatsoever. Um, but at the time, anything ambitious and big and, um, uh, you know, aiming, anything aiming for an enormity was what you'd like, and it to looked to Radiohead because they were, they were flying the flag at that point. Mm,
0: yeah, that's true. We're kind of in, a, um, in kind of in relation to
1: the
3: Radiohead, well, not Radiohead, sorry, it's the Coldplay bit about like people compare them to Coldplay in that sort of way. Even if they're not musically the same, they are kind of peers in the sense that they're a big British stadium rock band who would play the closing ceremonies of the Olympics and everyone in the world has heard of them, that sort of thing. Yeah. is Nat, today, 2021, where do you sort of think, to the average person, music? sit? What do most people, I think, where do they sort of, what's their position now in the landscape? Because... From my perspective, I've been super duper mega fan since Origin. So to me, they're the biggest band and they're my favourite band. So it's quite hard for me to sort of know where they sit with the normal sort of music listener in sort of the landscape. Because I go, oh no, the... and Adam basically schooled me on why, like by the number, <laughs> why by the numbers, they're not one of the biggest bands in the world. Where I was like, well, surely they're like number th- three, like U2, Coldplay, Red, Muse. And, and Adam was like, here's all the bands that are more popular by Muse, but just by numbers, obviously it's fairly raw but it's interesting I don't really know where do they sit these days in sort of the landscape
1: well, it's difficult to know how the mass public considers them um because as you know I'm a fan I've been in, been inside for quite a long time yeah um so I mean I guess I mean I guess it's kind of a, depends on generations I think there's probably a generation of people that thinks they're that big that band that uh sound like Queen, and there's uh, there's generations of sound that think that they're that sci-fi um, stadium band, and there's, you know, different sorts of of people that slot them in different things. I suspect that they kind of sit in a lot of people, if you're talking about mainstream mind, they probably sit in that kind of left-field rock uh, sl- slot alongside people like Biffy Clyro. Yeah. Yeah,
3: I think that's quite a good take, actually, because I think, yeah, if you, if you were to go to, you know, um, a random group of 10 people in an office in the UK and said, like, what do you think of Coldplay? They, they, would, they would be far more aware of Coldplay, I think, than Muse these days. Yeah, yeah but Coldplay are a bizarre
0: juggernaut. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, people, people know what's on playlists and on, on the radio and, um, and what gets suggested to them on streams, so they would probably have a much better idea of, of what Coldplay are like than, than they would Muse, who, who probably don't get that much sort of exposure. I mean, Muse are, are more a cult band. They've built up, they up a very faithful, a very huge following. Um, and that sustained them and, and, and that grows over time but they're not, they don't necessarily get the, uh, um, the big push that other acts might get in terms of uh, attention and media exposure
3: yeah and that's what's interesting isn't it because they play the same venues the same tours the same stadiums the same Glastonbury headline slots but there's definitely they do feel that little bit more niche
0: or cult as yeah. far as a stadium band could ever be niche But yeah. well it's, it's interesting you're, you're focusing on you know the live aspect there in terms so you're you're thinking of like in terms of like how many tickets can they shift, and they are famously you know a band that put on a good sort of show so i i don't I don't know if that's the correct necessarily like the fact that they can sell out stadiums won't necessarily reflect like things like streaming numbers and stuff like that because yeah i like, like, I think you're right, mark I think they're like maybe one of the most successful ever like cult bands,
1: yeah well yeah they' they've got a following i mean they, they mean an awful lot to people They're, um particularly when um uh you know when matt's talking about his his uh, deep reading into what's going on in the, in the mysteries of the world and the universe and just, <laughs> it really appeals to people that um want to look a bit further beyond things for their uh, for their rock kicks you know and and look mm. and they sound very futuristic and um yeah i think it's it's something that that people really um, really, linked you know, really become seriously involved in and and uh, and devoted to, and that's that's sustain them, and I think will sustain them for many years to come.
0: One of one of the most common things that we hear less now, but when we started this at the beginning of the year, um, because a lot of our listeners were also coming from season one, having heard the Mannix, so you know they are Mannix fans, which are potentially of you know maybe a certain age a certain demographic, you know, the, 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 general sort of consensus was, ah, yes, I remember Muse. I listened to them until about, I don't know, insert year hit 2005, 2007. And then they released people either say the resistance or the second mm-hmm. law. And then I fell off. Uh, why, why, why do you, do, do you have any idea why you think that might be, why that seems to be the cut off period for a lot of people?
1: I think it's, it happens to most bands. Um, you get a period where, uh, you know, when you look at pop bands and they appeal to people from the ages of like nine to 15, 16 or whatever. And then, uh, a rock band might appeal to someone through their student years and not, not much further. And, and people get to the point people, gen- I think there was a, a poll not too long ago where it said that once your, your music tastes are kind of set at the age of about 30 or so, and once past that, you, you yeah. do not really change. And, um, and yeah, and you, so you listen to this, you listen to a band, and you start going, "Oh, this this one isn't as good as the last." One. I don't like this one. Doesn't as mean, as mean as much to me as the last one because it mm-hmm. wasn't. I didn't hear it first at a the time that was where I was becoming a person. It it mm-hmm. didn't fit into the personality that I am, um, and so it doesn't mean as much to you. And so you start to think, "Oh, maybe I'm, I'm going off that band." Um, so yeah, I think it's just a, a natural evolution. I mean, um, but I think news are slightly different because people won't necessarily. Drop the band at a point where they make an album where they where they think isn't um, particularly up to scratch. I think people will keep coming back to them, and they do. But I think, I think that, Matt, Matt was telling me once. I think where um, uh, he believes that kind of the band are always a bit about sort of five years ahead of the, the fans. That they will <laughs> put out an album, and then two albums later, the fans will start considering it an absolute um, a masterpiece. Yeah, you know, interesting. As soon as it comes out, everyone's up in arms, going, "Oh no, this is different. What's this? What's this? This isn't as good as Origin of Symmetry or whatever." um And then they come round to it, and I, I think that's a, a good sign that they're maybe a little bit ahead of the curve. That's that's a,
0: a really good observation. I am I am one of those people that listened to them up until about two thousand and seven, two thousand and thousand and nine something around there, and then just you dropped, dropped off after Harp, didn't you? You basically yeah. said, "This is uh, that was great," and I never want to listen to them again. <laughs> well, but I have, but I have kept my awe in. Like I have always been curious about Muse to the degree where I've still heard every album apart from uh, Simulation Theory, which I haven't heard yet, and we're covering next.
1: There's, I think there was a stage when they really did go sort of ultimate Queen. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah and afterwards and it was a bit like i think maybe the people that had that as what they thought you know people that thought muse were kind of just a bit like queen might have heard that and gone yeah they're just queen now and, <laughs> um but you know they've moved on from that and there's still elements of that but they've uh, you know they they were doing the I, next album the next album i think they were doing like um, dubstep and stuff like well that's that, the
0: yeah? thing yeah i i also think that if you know if if you if people were like oh they sound too much like queen now i think maybe the uh the bringing in of a new generation of music, you know, like the dubstep thing was possibly the nail in the coffin for some of those people.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, maybe, maybe. Maybe people don't want to travel with a band, and uh, but I think yeah. Muse is the sort of band that people do want to travel with.
2: Well, I would argue that at the, same, the sort of same point that people fell off of Muse, they probably gained a whole new younger following from that mm. point onwards, where, to the point where they don't like the older stuff because they like this, this newer Muse and they like the, the poppier side, the dubstep side, the... Synth wave, you know, kind of thing, and and Queen and stuff like that. So I almost probably feel like they they do have two sets of people, like in a fan base, in in mm. in a sense. But yeah, well,
1: you're, you're, I always I always I'm always amazed at how young the fan base is when I when I go and see them. You know, they're, yes. they're, they're picking up young fans all the time.
2: Yeah, I
0: mean, yeah, we we you know on Twitter we see a lot of people who yeah joined them at Simulation Theory, mm. and and like you said, Steve, aren't fond of. Origin of Symmetry just yeah. doesn't just kind of doesn't do it for them, which is really interesting because from me being 32, you know, a, a, a lot of um, the Muse fans that I know are like the opposite of that. They're like raw fans, you know what I mean? And they like the old muse, and I'm not going to listen to synth muse, because I'm into rock music. It's not clear. Adam's doing the horns for people <laughs> oh, yeah, listening. Sorry, I'm just yeah, doing yeah, yeah. I forget, it's yeah. a podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, when, when did you realise that they were going to be a stadium band?
1: The um, first time I saw them.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was just, it was immediate that you knew they were yeah, just, they were going to be headlining stadiums
1: i remember i think it was about 99 i think they were on tour supporting gene right and, and i saw them at reading university um i remember sort of running with my then girlfriend across the lawns as they were just coming on to sort of make sure we call them and i you know, i knew gene so i was sort of in the dressing room afterwards and talking to the drummer from gene and, and he was saying i oh, did see muse and i was like yeah i interviewed them last week they're going to be absolutely massive and then he sort of nodded and I politely and then I sort of pointed to the left and Dom was stood right next to me waiting to say hello. So that was kind of, I didn't know if I found favour with the band at that point, or, or, but it was a, I was dead on with that prediction. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a yeah. great question. Yeah. Um, why Why did you write a book about them? What What was it that you um, thought, this is the story that needs to be told?
1: Well, it was, it was a story that came to me, um, uh, I think... There was another writer, Stevie Chick, had been asked to do it um, by the publisher, and then he said, well, you know, there's only one man that can do this, <laughs> and so he kind of <laughs> wanted them my way, um, and I, it was the first book, the first um, music book I'd done, I'd, I'd written plenty of novels before then, but um, it, this was, it was certainly, I'd, I'd had a few sort of offers of of acts I wasn't particularly interested in to write books on, and this was just perfect for me, obviously, because I'd, I'd done more interviews with them than anybody, I think, and Certainly on on pretty much every album I'd um gone spent time with them and, and gone around Europe and, and all sorts of stuff. So I had some good stories. Um yeah, it just made, it just made perfect sense and it was such a good story. Um so many great quotes, so many um yeah. great songs. I mean it was just a it was a gift really.
0: There are there are so many like good anecdotes in the book about what a weird little trio they are they're just <laughs> they're, they they are a, a bizarre um proposition means i think um you you did up you it originally went up to Wembley and then you updated for the resistance are you going uh, are we going to see another update are you going to take this t- um, to the I, end or not
1: there there isn't there aren't any plans to do that i mean it's because of there obviously, there isn't an end um uh i feel like now i think we i've done at least One update, maybe even two now, and and I think every time we do an update, you feel as though you're finishing the book again, and so I feel the book has now got at least two endings, if not three, and probably (laughs) probably needs to sort of sit where it is. Um, uh, I I don't know. I mean, it's done. You know, it's quite a popular book, and um, maybe there's a a second book to be done in the future when there's um, enough of a canon to cover from from the end of the previous one um but you know i've been working a lot more with the band now so that was an unofficial book and and um i've been, been enjoying sort of uh, working with them on the origin amuse thing and, and various sleeve notes for other things uh, um in the works and so um yeah i don't know I, I, and also you do worry that they want to um well I don't know, they don't look at
2: <laughs> but, um, oh, sorry,
0: I, I heard you said something about other anything? things in the works. I don't know if you yeah. want to elaborate
1: on that. <laughs> there are always things in the works um, which, which, um, which I would certainly be under, under contract, not to mention if I were involved in any of them. Um, but sure. uh, okay. yeah, the thing is that uh, album 10 confirmed for uh, uh, skipping nine. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, um, at this stage, I mean, I'm, I've been working them for a bit and COVID and lockdown has interrupted um any sort of plans for things. But you know, you I can I can I can guarantee you that there will be more muse muse records coming. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's so, good. yes good. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we've got the acoustic one coming and they're gonna perform on no, no, a no, pyramid I'll, under I'll, a dome. Uh, yeah. 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 yeah.
1: That's just my in my imagination. But uh, <laughs> um yeah so yeah whether I do another do more books. Um I don't know because I've been enjoying working with them and and you don't want to sort of get in the way of if they want to do their own book. Um, you know, my yeah. book kind of gets in the way of, of that a little bit because you know, I don't want to bone my own trumpet, but it's at the moment, I think, considered the definitive one. It's so, the muse biography, yeah. In case they want to do another book, or maybe I'll do a book with them if they want to do, want to do that. So, who knows?
0: I mean, I'd be pretty fascinated by a Matt Bellamy autobiography <laughs> written <laughs> I mean, from yeah. his own perspective. Yeah, <laughs> that would be insane. I, think we, I think we've seen how
3: much. Matt sometimes likes to say absolute bollocks in interviews. Imagine a whole book of it. <laughs> it would be
0: fascinating and I would read that. It would. To be fair. <laughs> um, Mark, we, we, we tasked you with a very difficult task, uh, which is your top 10 yeah. Muse songs. How, how did you get on?
1: Well, I mean, the thing about this is it, it it's tricky, particularly because I, I suspect that having you know, biographed muse to the degree I have and, and having just gone into the you know, very early years in extreme depth for the for the box set, um people might expect me to go for rarities and but I'm just not doing that. Good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all the pop singles, great. There's I love many, that.
1: Yeah. There's too many great ones. I mean I yeah, it's, like
0: you know, yeah, yeah. We, we we can we can wax lyrical about things like Jimmy Kane and Map of Your Head all
1: day. But also yeah you I'm know sure hysteria fans, is great muse fans listen to this you know there's some very devoted ones and and who are who would love to hear me go on go on a like, wax lyrical about b-sides and and demos and things like that but i there's just too many of the big songs that i really really love yeah um so I've, this this is going to be a pretty ob- obvious list i'm afraid no yeah, that's right. great i yeah. love
0: that right let's do it let's start at, i reckon what we'll do i reckon we start at 10 and work yeah. towards one. Is everybody comfortable with that idea? That, that seems... It's not it's not in numerical order, but it, it means that the songs get better as we go. Does that okay. make sense? Very good, yeah. Sure. Good. Well, not, really good invention.
1: I went for uh, number 10, I went for Pressure.
0: Oh. Someone remind me what song "Pressure"
1: is. <laughs>
0: yeah, talk to me about "Pressure," Mark. What do you like about "Pressure"?
1: It's the it's the big pop song from from uh, uh, Simulation Theory. So yeah, um, it's the one that you know for I guess from the last sort of five or six years, and maybe sort of two or three albums, was my favourite of the of the, the big pop tunes. And you know, I've always loved their big tunes. Um, video was great. Uh, really st- stands out in the in the re- more recent live shows, and that's a, that's a keeper.
0: Okay, cool. Okay, we'll, we'll also designate them keepers uh, as we go, oh. whether or not <laughs> yeah. they're keepers. Or we'll I think if they're in it. the top ten, they're probably all keepers.
1: I mean, I okay, I'll make a note of that. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I mean keeper in terms of it's a keeper for the live show. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Reckon, well, this is something I brought up about their live show, which is
3: they they do keep they do you know, the songs that stick around, I feel like they need to rotate a little bit better just because they're starting to have keepers now that are quite similar. Like, I feel like Pressure and maybe Supermassive Black Hole kind of serve the same purpose in a set list. And maybe you just need one of them. And I feel like maybe, mm. maybe you don't need Starlight and Mercy. Maybe pick one. But, but I'm unfortunately that, uh, that fan who wants to bang on about B-sides. Uh, having said that, my top 10s. Probably ends with hysteria. Uh, so, it
1: yeah, I say no. Yeah. It, it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Number nine. I've gone for bliss. Um, oh well, yeah, classic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. It's, it's only going to get more blissful. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It might be a shock, like. but you know, it's—I mean, it's bliss, isn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah, it it's is just, bliss. It's just, just memories of of when they first started dropping the balloons um, would often mm. bliss, um, and that was always such a brilliant moment. I mean, it's just. Something that people, I don't know if people hadn't worked that out before that you could drop massive inflatable moons on people and it would be fine. <laughs> um, a, I mean, it was such a special moment everyone they to do that, sort of dropping from the top of arenas or whatever. So that's not just a brilliant song, but uh, you know, great memories of, of all those shows. Uh, shall I move on? Number eight, number eight, yeah, yeah, number eight. Um, I've gone for Mercy, okay, know,
0: like okay was not expecting mercy for some reason
1: it's just i mean again it on on record it's, it was it was pretty good but when in the live show it just absolutely blows the, the roof off um it really is I mean, it's of the of the recent records it's um it's the epic really i mean it's the it's the, the big old epic pop song interesting um, it really it really it's lifted it's lifted the set I mean, if you're someone like me who's seen Muse. Uncountable times, really. Um, when something like that drops in, that's new, but also as big and as affecting as, as old stuff. It's yeah, it's, it's very special. Um, so, I guess moving on. This might surprise you if everyone's big fans of Hysteria, but I'm dropping Hysteria at seven. That's as long um, as it's in there, Mark. I don't care where it is. <laughs> that's fine. Um, Great tune. I mean, what can you say about hysteria? I mean, it just kicks off. Great
0: tune, sums it up. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah, just an undeniable banger.
1: Um, As are the rest. I mean, I don't know how much I can say about much of (laughs) it. You don't have to say anything. Smash the room if you want. (laughs) Um, So, I've gone for Starlight at six. Okay, Um, another big banger. Yeah, and also kind of that was the, 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 I think, a pivotal point when they really sort of got a bit of um, the pop sparkle. You know, it was a pivotal moment between the sort of the heavy, heavy rock stuff and the, mm. and the poppier uh, later stuff. And, and it kind of, means it means it represents the kind of the step up to stadiums for me, for some reason, that song. Um,
0: how, how, how important uh, is, is sort of like the personal context around these sorts of, of things for you? Like you've included bliss because you have great memories of the gigs and, and starlight is like a pivotal moment of the band. Is, is, is that important in, in the way that you view music?
1: I think, to a degree, I mean, if you as a journalist, when you are reviewing something, you, you try and be as objective as possible. But when you make yeah. your favourite lists of of things, yes, the stuff is definitely going to influence um, where you, you know where things rank. Especially when you, you know, I could I could probably list sort of twenty or thirty of these songs, which are all absolutely amazing hmm. um, and all worthy of being the top ten, my top ten. But the ones, you know, ultimately you go for the ones that hit you hardest, or um, yeah. you know, you into the band, or uh, made you go, wow! Look at that, or, or some, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. So, so yeah, Starlight. I mean, is Starlight better than Hysteria? I don't know. Actually, maybe they could switch around.
0: Nah. <laughs> no, don't don't start editing. You'll you'll go down a road that you don't want to go down. We'll we'll you know we'll be here <laughs> for hours, like litigating lists. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, number five, I've got time is running out. Cool. Um, again, what can you say about time is running out? It's just absolutely monstrous. I am. Um, it's I remember a bit it, sexy. It is quite sexy, but so much as so much, so much it is. Um, I remember the first time I heard Absolution was in, um, they had a, a a preview listening at the Planetarium.
2: Amazing. Cool.
1: Uh, and I remember sort of sitting there and, I mean, the whole album was absolutely immense when you're sort of watching all these star shows going on. And that was, I mean, that, uh, that, uh, that experience probably is probably pivotal in making me think that absolution is the best muse record because having it bl- the first time you're hearing having it blasted at you in space it's, yes um, right yeah you know, it's gonna, yeah. definitely gonna sway it a little uh, the, uh, the hypnotic effect and uh, the brainwashing effect I guess. yeah um <laughs> and i uh, is running out it's just yeah just a just a cracking song isn't it um so we're going to top four now i've got a newborn for, for number four
0: Oh yeah, cool. I know that. Yeah, I'm these thinking. are these are yeah. just these are all just classics,
1: but it's great. <laughs> I'm sure there are, sure are B sides that I could slot in to look look credible with the fan base, but I just <laughs> so uh, well, um, the thing is, the fan base these days actually you say
3: about credible. You know what Adam was talking about? I think that there's a huge chunk of the audience now that's like I don't, know, I don't want B sides. I want like I want algorithm. There are
0: huge yeah. chunks of the fan base that don't even know what a B side is
1: that's true True. (laughs) Um, so number three everyone's Stockholm Syndrome uh, just just beats your head off doesn't it I mean every single time Um, Mm. it's a it's a it's awe inspiring live I mean it just relegated to the metal medley now isn't it yeah which is a bit of a shame but they do play pretty much all of it I think I mean it does I think it gets. I think. I, mean, it, gets really?
3: the, I, think, I think it gets the longest chunk of that medley, doesn't it? But, okay. but, but medley nonetheless. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
1: I mean, as long as you've got at least sort of one sort of. Rah, 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 yeah. Then you're. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're Absolutely. Right. Now, I suppose this one. This one might be a, shock, a shocker. I mean, one for butterflies and hurricanes at number two. Oh, cool. I mean,
3: I mean, I think I, mean, you know, that's the, I think if not, you were to shocking thing, you could have said.
1: I mean, I think if you were to try and come
3: up with the sort of epitomite, epit- What's the word I'm looking for? The song that epitomises Muse, I think Butterflies and Hurricanes, there's an argument for that being, you know, the the Muse song in terms of summing up what they do, or at least maybe not these days, but for for a while.
1: I remember talking to Matt about it. and, and there's, uh, the, I mean, obviously it's an incredible builder and it's an incredible climax to it, but then you've got that piano section in the middle and, um, and Matt saying that that's the only thing he could play on piano. At that time, he'd learned that one. <laughs> wow. Like, like concert pianist level um stuff and he just that's all he'd done um but i think yeah it's a, a real shame they don't play that more often for me i mean i just think it's absolutely phenomenal and who well could you guess okay. what one is do we want <laughs> any wild okay. guesses
0: uh i'm gonna
2: guess um execution commentary uno <laughs> <laughs> It's obviously plug in Baby. Oh, of course it's plug in Baby. I'm <laughs> oh, all right, yeah. Steve. Sorry, no, no. We were all trying to do no, a no, joke, actually, Steve. Yeah, but I wanted to be right.
1: I wanted to get it right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really smart new song. That's the best rock song of the last I 20 years, I think. Totally I mean. agree. totally um, I mean, agree. I remember the first time I saw well, I mean, I'm, because they brought out, I mean, they were playing it for a long time before I, I saw them, but um, for some reason, the first couple of times I saw them, it wasn't in the set, um, and they started re- playing it again uh, after um, uh, the first album came out and they were doing the, the tour with the geometric shapes and they, it just made the muse absolutely unmissable for me I mean, just mm. this, and knowing this song was coming and then the PR had telling me yeah, they're gonna, this is going to be the first single from the second album and knowing it was coming I knew it was coming for about six months or so before it did and I was I was sort of winding up the enemy office the whole time, going, "You're not going to believe this song when it comes. It's going to be so amazing." And the, yeah, I remember the day I sort of managed to we got we opened the packages and I put it on the stereo and just sort of walked proudly up and saying, "Right, here we go, here it is," and just blew the roof off the off the enemy office. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I've played it every other show every, every show since I've ever seen, and mm. and it's. It's the, Often it's the reason you go. I mean, it's just yeah. You'd be phenomenal. pretty livid if
0: you went to a Muse show and they didn't play "Plug In
3: Baby." They've
1: spoken about not about not not playing it, and mm. I'm like, mm, really? Okay, where is it? <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's one of the few songs they can't drop because they'll get cancelled if they do. <laughs> cancelled.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry to um, you know the 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 big fans out there that that would would expect me to go a little bit a little bit deeper on deep cuts, but. Um, I see, yeah, I'm just a bit obvious I'm afraid no, I, I, mean, sp- no, really I think straight straight that's a great point. Yeah.
3: I mean, we found the same last season with Manix, didn't we, as you know there maybe be the odd one in there, but most people have the, the top five is is a fairly similar mix of a bunch of songs it's, because it's there's
0: songs you Tolerate this they're designed for life, they're all: yeah. in
3: there. yeah, and with music, yeah, it's, it's hysteria and plug in Baby and newborn and the likes of that,
0: like yeah, probably yeah. Yeah. they're
3: probably the songs people love,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are going to reason that into a Spotify playlist and post that out on our Twitter so people can listen after uh, this episode. Um, Mark, what, what, what have you got coming up? What what are you up to?
1: What am I up to? Um, I've been phenomenally busy, really. Um, I'm what's, uh, What have I got coming up? I mean, I'm doing lots of interviews. Uh, just kind of, uh, I mean, if you want sort of individual pieces, I've got a Mogwai piece up uh, on The Independent uh, this week. Um, I mean, every day in my life, every every day and every week is a little bit unpredictable, and um, you might do you think like that.
0: Is that good or is that disabling um,
1: dist- it's, it um, it's been very very busy um, for quite a long time, which is uh, which is great. Doing it's, it, during lockdown has been quite strange because you know being very busy when you get the chance to go to gigs to do as work and go to. Uh, various places to interview people as work. That's that's a, a different experience to sitting in a room and yeah. room interviews, and that feels like work. I mean, so it does really to so work with <laughs> my that I do feels very much like work of late. Um, so in terms of what I've, what I've got coming up, um, you know, lots of lots of bits and bobs on the enemy. I just did this Mark McDowell interview, uh, so all sorts of lots of stuff. If I probably look at my phone to tell me exactly what I've got to write today. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And, and where and where can
0: people find you on like social media? So let's get this. Let's really get this right on Twitter, so that people aren't you know tweeting a cyclist about our podcast. Oh yeah, um,
1: yeah. I <laughs> am uh, Mark Beaumont UK at Mark Beaumont UK on. Okay. on Isn't the
0: cyclist also from the UK? He is. Yes. Right. This is very is, confusing, Mark.
1: This is <laughs> Mark Beaumont on on Twitter, so you can okay. You can find
0: okay. We will. Yeah. Okay, cool. We will in
1: up, I'm particularly interested. In, I've got a holiday coming up, so I'm looking forward to. That. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Excellent.
0: so, okay, if you follow Mark on Twitter, I'm sure you can get some updates on Mark's holiday. That would be, <laughs> that would be ideal.
1: I'm not, I'm not. I'm not typing a thing for a week, mate. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah,
0: don't blame me. <laughs> and of course, out of this world, uh, the the unofficial biography of Muse is like available just everywhere in in all good bookshops and probably some bad ones as well.
3: Right. Yeah, I would say a must for any Muse fan. I mean, I've certainly cribbed from it a lot for this podcast. (laughs) Uh, For me to for me to pull all the sort of history and biography bits because we're pretty up to date now with Muse. We've kind of gone through almost their entire career at this point. That when uh, when I ran out of content in your book, my research became a lot harder.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'd I'd I'd, I'd cribbed it all. Um, But yeah, if if we're plugging things as well, if if there's any Muse fans out there that have enjoyed the Muse book, then uh, my novel is on. Can we purchase on Amazon? It's called 666666666. 666 666 666. It's a catchy title. I'm not <laughs> even <joking. laughs> yeah.
0: Is that numbers or
3: or you know S-I-X? Numbers. All 10, numbers.
0: <laughs> Mark, okay. thank you. Uh thank you so much uh for joining us. Um and and thank you, listeners, uh, for listening to us. Uh it's it's your turn to come and sort of talk to us now. You can find us on uh Social media uh, at Mark Beaumont, so you can tweet us there (laughs) about all sorts of stuff, Um, or you can actually directly get in contact with us uh, at What Is Music Pod on Instagram. We're at What Is Music Pod on TikTok because we have to engage with the younger audience. We're (laughs) at What Is Music, and you can email us as well. Have you know? We'll read it. We'll read your email out. Why not? Whatismusicpod at gmail.com um Thank you so much, Mark, uh, for doing this. Uh, just got one piece of advice for you uh, and also for the listeners. Uh, don't waste your time or time will waste you. Very good point. Yeah, Thanks, Mark. it is a good point, isn't <laughs> it? It is not it Mark. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank Bye. You. Bye.
2: Bye.